You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. Everybody has a role to play in protecting children. Not just teachers, doctors, or police officers. But everybody has a responsibility to report child abuse. If you believe a child is being abused physically, sexually, or emotionally, you must report it. Call the police or Crime Stoppers. Call 911 if you think the child is in immediate danger. You won't get into trouble if you do it. The law will protect you. Break the silence because you could save a child's life. Break the silence because it's the right thing to do. Break the silence because it's the law. I continue to have serendipitous connections around Marie Hill as I'm unfolding and telling the story about Erica Hill. I had interviewed Katina McAllister about her connection with Marie Hill. She went to school with her as a returning adult student. And after she and I spoke, she had a conversation with her brother, Tony, and found out that Tony had a connection. And I don't know that either of them had ever talked before about their connection with Marie Hill. So I had this conversation with Tony, who worked with the Hill family when the children were younger and in daycare and after-school programmings. And so I had a conversation with him. After listening to his conversation again, I was just moved to go into some conversations about what we can do when we suspect abuse of children. And so listen in to my short conversation with Tony, but then afterwards, just kind of a longer conversation about how we can look, recognize the signs and what should we do if we suspect a child is being abused. And I'm hoping that this is going to be a really, really helpful episode. And again, using Erica's story to help other children like her. Take a listen in. Just 
tell me a little bit about when you first heard about Marie and Erica Hill and what happened in 2015. I didn't hear. I just recently heard about it from my sister. I heard about it a while ago, but I didn't picture who was the person that done it until she showed me a picture of her like a couple of days ago. And I was like, wow. I said, that is her. I said, I used to watch Marie, right? Right. I used to watch Marie's kids in the daycare, all of them. The boy and the two, it was one boy and two girls. And that's where I remembered her from. And I was just shocked, but kind of not shocked. She was really strange. She was different. It was very different. She could just give them kids a look and they know what to do. They shape right up because she didn't play no games. And the minute they she would leave though, they would cut up and show their tails. Wow. I guess that's just a sign of I guess they were going through things and right. I don't know. I'm not no psychiatrist, so I don't know why they did it. They did it because she wasn't around, I guess. But yeah, I had them in my after school program for maybe two years. Oh, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that stood out about the kids other than this kind of their behavior changing when mom was gone? The light skin one, and I don't remember names because it was a while ago and I'm not good with names. The light skin one, she just she would have a lot of marks on her body, like scratch marks from bruises to scratches. Yes. Well, they all had marks on them pretty much, but I, the light skin girl really stood out to me because I guess they showed up more on her. And she was always the scariest one to me. She seemed so scared all the time. Like they were always on the edge. Wow. And then. Who would know that they were going through that at home? Right. Who never knew that? Because what? she put on such a good front. Like she just took such good care of them kids. And like, I don't know. I just didn't expect her to be like that. Was there any concern that you can remember at the time? And I know this is some years ago. Do you remember any other folks at the daycare being like, yeah, I'm kind of concerned about these bruises. Not sure where they're coming from. No, because like I said, they were in my room. Okay. And I was like still in high school. So I didn't really think much of it. I just really, sure. I thought maybe they're at home fighting each other. So I didn't think much of it. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point there because I think that, what I'm finding and talking to folks over the years, different people saw things and really weren't sure what to make of it. Now you're in high school, so that's a whole different case and situation by itself. But I think one of the things I want to come from this documentary is the challenge to us in the community to respond when we see something that doesn't look quite right. Yeah, I agree. In some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because if had I been older, Right now, I would have said something. I mean, I would have noticed that they were bruising and I would have, I definitely would have noticed the change in their behavior from when he left or when she came or they were just around other kids. Like, I would have picked up on stuff like that now, today. But yeah, fresh out of high school, I was actually still in high school. I was doing it as a graduation program. I was in a program that was giving me extra credit. So that's why I did it. I ended up staying there like eight years later. Oh, wow. Nice. So like I said, I did have them. They were in the summer school program. They would come there after school. So I'd have them for like maybe two to three hours after school until she'd come pick them up. Sometimes she'd pick them up late. Sometimes she wouldn't bring them or sometimes they wouldn't come for a couple days. But yeah, they were there. Definitely were in my class. Wow. You kind of mentioned some of your interaction. Did you have much interaction with mom? With the boy, I did mostly, but he was so shy and quiet. He didn't talk, really. It was hard to get him to talk. And he would follow me around a lot, though. But the girls, they were usually together. The two girls were usually together. They were kind of troublemakers, so a lot of the kids stayed away from them. 
Mm-hmm. And I would suppose, and it's just, of course, it's like you're saying, it's just speculation that sometimes when kids are having a tough time at home, you know, it often will come out somewhere. Exactly. And exactly. in some way. That's what I was thinking. Looking back now, like, clearly they were going through some turmoil at home is the reason why they were probably acting out. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that might be good to add? No, not that I could think of. I just, <clears throat> like I said, they were just really quiet kids until she left and they showed their butts. Yeah. But they were, they minded me. They listened to me. We had a good relationship. We talked. I mean, we didn't talk into depth about what's going on at home. Right. I know that the oldest one did not like her. I do know that. She talked about her a lot. She did not like her. She did say she was mean. I do remember that. She would say she was mean. And I just didn't. I'm like, what? I don't believe that. She would say what now? What would the oldest one she say? She would say the mom was, she would say Maria was a mean lady. She would always say she's mean. Wow. Would she go into any further details than that? No, she would just say that she was mean and they didn't like being at home with her. She was just a mean lady. The oldest one. She was the only one who would really talk pretty much. Mm-hmm. She was like their protector is what I took it as. She looked out for them. And so you were saying you had two girls in the class. Now, they were three girls. Do you remember the three or just the two of them? I remember the oldest girl. Did she have a cut in her face or something? Or Yes, Tiara. Okay, I remember her. And then there was a younger one. She was light-skinned. Tiara? Is it a Tiara and Tiara? There was a Tiara, a Kiara, and a Sierra. I don't remember which two it was. I do remember the oldest one, and it was another girl, and it was a boy. I do remember the oldest one, the girl, and I remember the light-skinned girl. I just don't remember her name. I don't mm-hmm. remember if it was... Kiara, I thought I want to say Kiara because it was Tierra and Kiara. Okay, okay. Yeah, because the reason I was asking for that, when you're describing the older one being kind of a protector, just kind of wondering about what role she may have played in that. Like I said, she would just look out for them, just make sure they were getting their snack at snack time and they were behaving pretty much. She had kind of act like a mother to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, Okay. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's helpful just to get some more history because I think it challenges us as community folks and church folks and professional folks to just be on the lookout for things that seem out of play and we don't want to like over respond to things and have that balance, but also not under respond. And I think the more we can have trainings and again you are just a kid yourself but the more we could have trainings for staff at daycares at after school programs even ministers in the church like church ministers children's ministers and youth ministers on the signs and things like that to look for and to know what to do next if you suspect it yeah i tell you that daycare i was at they they didn't do training like that they took mostly state kids the kids that nobody else would take kids at the daycare other daycares would throw out or kick out we took those kids so i don't know they didn't really go into no training they didn't do no schooling it was just like it was pretty bootleg if you ask me had i had training yeah i would have known what to look for but they didn't give no classes no nothing so wow did you have the class by yourself yeah and that was another issue. I had a class of like 25, sometimes 30 kids I would have to complain about. By yourself as a high schooler? Yeah, I was that was 17, 18 years old. Wow. Yeah. Because she didn't have to pay me. I was doing it for a credit. Yeah. So they, 
me in a room like, hey, this is what you're going to be doing. This is what you're working for. Your credit this is what your credit's going to get you. Well, you earned that grade, bro. I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. I still see half of them kids I used to watch. I see a lot of them now still. Yeah. Running into them like, wow, you guys are all grown up now. That's kind of the nice thing about staying in the same community for a long time. Yeah. That you yeah. do get to see kids grow up and you get to see their kids and things. Yep, definitely. Yeah. I've seen a lot of them too. Wow. Plenty of them. Wow. Well, I, again, I really appreciate your insight. I appreciate your time and wish you blessings as you go into your next leg of your journey. Thank you so much. Yes. I wish I could remember a little more. No, this is really helpful, what you did remember, because what ends up happening is talking to people here, people there, it helps to paint a picture. Because if you hear one person say it, then you're like, well, maybe yes, maybe no. But, you know, but if you start hearing other people say, yeah, I saw a bruise when she was three. I saw this when they were little. It, It helps to paint a picture about the story. Okay. I yeah. See yeah. So every bit counts and every bit is appreciated. No problem. I was, I'm glad to be of service. I appreciate that. Well, blessings to you and I'll see you around. Last week, we examined on a more deeper level how the black church impacts whether or not a black girl is defended that attends the church. And I had an opportunity to talk to several pastors, and it was really powerful. So, you know, we took a couple episodes just kind of looking at church and what role it played in Erica's life and in Maria's life and, you know, the potential role that church can have in the lives of parishioners and in the lives of ensuring safety and and defense of Black girls. And so we're getting ready to move into talking about the community like what can the black community do to save girls like Erica and after listening to Tony McAllister's interview it just dawned on me to just to take this pause to infuse the information that I'm about to share with you because one of the things that kind of came from the conversation was the whole idea of when do you know when to respond and it made me think about times that we overreact to things and we see, you know, black children taking in droves from their house via social services when there were other options, other alternatives, other supports that would have kept that child in the home. Then we look at under-responding to, particularly when we look at Erica's case, there was so much under-response from every entity that was around her, school, church, social services, the community as a whole, And then there's non-response, where you just don't do shit. You see stuff, you hear stuff, you suspect stuff, but you just don't do anything about it. And so I thought, let's take this pause after this conversation with Tony and just talk about, you know, what are some things that we can do, you know, and examine that. You know, he was a teenager when he noticed some things. So there's there's no expectations of young kids fully understanding this, but for us as adults, 
there is an expectation for us to respond in some way when we have strong suspicions that a child is being abused sexually, physically, emotionally, when a child is being neglected, you know, and when we're looking at the whole defense of black girls, you know, looking at the CDC, they talk about the reasons for death based on age, based on race. And one of the things that's one of the highest numbers for black girls over age spans is unintended accidents, accidental deaths. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on that so many black girls are dying accidentally? And it makes me think about neglect and 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 the things that make black girls most vulnerable. And right now, being in a pandemic, and even when we get through this, black girls are gonna still be vulnerable, but there's a whole nother level of vulnerability for them right now when so many children are at home, you know, we're getting ready to start a new school year. And Many, many school districts around our community and around the nation are making the choice to start off school at a distance. And so that means we have a lot of girls at home, you know, and if that home is abusive, then there you are. There's no out ways of getting out of there. And, you know, the number of reports on child abuse is going down during this season. And it's not because abuse is going down. It's because we don't have the number of eyes on kids in settings where they would be seen by a counselor. Their teacher would see them. Maybe a community program would see them. And if there were some signs of abuse that they would see, they would report. And so we have droves and droves of our Black girls in situations that they don't know any way out and people don't know any way in. So first, let me just start with sharing the National Sexual Abuse Hotline. If you suspect that a child that you know or love is being sexually abused, 800-656-4673. Again, 800-656-4673. There are professionals there that can help answer your questions, can help guide you to some local resources wherever you're listening from and help you get some help for a child. If you suspect that a child you know or love is being physically abused, is being neglected, is being emotionally abused, Child Help National Abuse Hotline, 800-422-4453, 800-422-4453. I'll mention these numbers again, you know, and these are just numbers you can even share on your social media outlets just to say, hey, you know, we're going into a new school year. If you know a child, a suspected child is being abused, here's some great resources just to ask questions, to figure out what is your next step? What can you do? And so with that in mind, I, I also wanted to just look at what is child sexual abuse or what is child abuse? And and child abuse and neglect and all that kind of stuff and just kind of look at this. So I'm going to go through some things that I found on some web resources. We will provide some links in the show notes. So if you want to find out more where you can go online to educate yourself, educate those around you, educate those that you know, need a further deep understanding of how to go about and how to help and how to support children. And so look out for that. We'll share that with you. 
So I got a lot of papers in front of me, so you may hear some paper rustling, so just ignore it. So what is child abuse and neglect? Child abuse isn't just about black eyes. While physical abuse is shocking due to the marks it leaves, not all signs of child abuse are as obvious. And even with that, some people are really clever about abusing in a way that hides the facts. So, you know, the abuse may not be on their face or on their arms or on their legs. You know, when we look at the case of Erica Hill, you know, there was marks on her neck and her arms and her legs. And that's why she was made to wear turtlenecks and long sleeves and long pants all the time. But, you know, there's other places you can physically abuse children and you won't ever see it in no obvious way. So keeping that in mind, but also ignoring children's needs, putting them in unsupervised and dangerous situations, you know, and looking at the CDC report on, you know, how you can look and see by age, by race, what are the causes of death? And for black girls, one of the biggest causes of death is unintended accidents. And I'm thinking, why in the hell are so many black girls, and this is across a few age spans, why are so many black girls accidentally dying? And it makes me think about neglectful situations, like just being put in neglectful, unhealthy, unsafe situations from the sublime to the ridiculous to leaving kids at home that are too young to be by themselves um, to having babysitters that have no reason to be babysitting your children. Just a lot of just unsafe situations. And so um, that's an abusive situation, you know? Exposing them to sexual situations or making them feel worthless or stupid are also forms of child abuse and neglect. And they can leave very deep, deep wounds. You know, if you talk to any adult, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, they are carrying some deep wound of something that somebody said to them at some point in their lives that they haven't been able to shake off. And if you have an even deeper conversation with them, many of them will be able to tell you how those things that were said to them have shaped their relationships, shaped what they thought they could or could not do in the world, shaped their ambitions, shaped whether or not they thought or felt they could be successful. So those are really, really, really deep. Um, so regardless of the type of abuse, lasting scars is going to be the results and deep emotional harm is going to be the result. Um, and so just giving us a sense of that, you know, because it isn't just, just one thing, it isn't just one way, you know, but I want to just quickly kind of go through the different types of child abuse. Just because the more we all, and when I say we all, I mean everybody, parents, teachers, social workers, pastors, children ministers, youth ministers, bus drivers, Mookie, May, Maine, and them, the more we are more aware of what child abuse looks like, the better we're going to be in a position to defend Black girls. And so looking at some of the different forms that it can come in, um, we understand that the bottom line is that a child is going to be harmed emotionally. And unless they heal, 
have an opportunity to heal, know that they need to heal, those scars are going to infect them, infect them and impact them and everyone around them for the rest of their lives. So emotional abuse, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never help me, hurt me. That is a damn lie because many of us will forget, will forget about any time we've been whooped, beat, beat up, but we're not going to forget a lot of the emotional harm, emotional words that were done. So um, words can hurt and emotional abuse can severely damage a child's mental health or social development. Examples of emotional abuse include constantly belittling, shaming, and humiliating, calling names and making negative comparisons to others, telling a child they're no good, worthless, bad, you just like you're no good daddy, mm. frequently yelling, threatening, or bullying your child, ignoring or rejecting a child as punishment, giving them the silent treatment, limiting physical contact with the child, you know, not, not hugging them, not kissing them, or other signs of affection, and exposing a child to violence against others, whether it's against the other parent, a sibling, or even a pet, like ha having them witness it. And I think this is really important because a lot of work that is done around physical abuse, you know, a man can be um, charged, convicted of physically abusing his wife or girlfriend, the mother of his child, but his visitation won't be impacted with his children. And I think that we have to understand that if a child has witnessed a man beating the hell out of their mother, they are emotionally abused in that situation and they are likely afraid, they're traumatized. And I think we have to look at that just because that father may not have physically abused that child. It doesn't mean that his actions haven't emotionally abused that child. Child neglect and unfortunately, child neglect is a very common type of child abuse. It is a pattern of failing to provide for a child's basic needs, which includes adequate clothing. I just got to pause there because too many people saw Erica wearing the same damn clothes all the time. Too many people saw Erica wearing turtlenecks and long sleeves and long pants in the summer, in the hot months. Too many people saw this. That was a pattern of abuse. Too many people saw Erica's braids falling out and her hair looking crazy in school, you know, in church. That is the basic needs not being taken care of. So again, adequate food, clothing, hygiene, or supervision. Child neglect is not always easy to suspect. But one thing I will say and say time and time again, if you see a black girl and her hair is looking crazy, Something is most likely going on in her life on some kind of level. And I'm not saying she's necessarily being abused, you know, or neglected. It, it could be a financial thing. Maybe the mother can't afford it. But I'm telling you, it's a sign of something. It's a sign of help. It's a sign of, it's a plea. It's, it's a sign that somebody needs to help in some kind of way. Okay. Um, and that something is going on at home. It could mean that the the, the mom, the dad, is they're caught up, they're stressed out, they're depressed, they are struggling with drugs and alcohol, or just struggling, period, you know, so it's a sign of something. Physical abuse, it involves physical harm or injury to the child. It may be a result of deliberate attempt to hurt the child or excessive physical punishment. Many physically abusive parents insist that their actions are simply forms of discipline. 
try to make the child behave or a consequence of them misbehaving. And, you know, a lot of times people want to have conversations about Black people using physical abuse. You know, this is a longer conversation, which I won't go deep on here, but a lot of that is part of our historical trauma because whether you're a child or you're a grown-ass man, somebody could beat your ass when you was a slave. And I think we have carried too much of that into our own ways of raising our children and we've embraced it as our own, but I just question whether or not that was something we were doing over in Africa. I don't know, but um, certainly not in the ways that we were exposed to it here in America. And I know throughout the decades that Black mothers have tried to stay the lives of their Black children through physical discipline because they felt that if I could make sure that you're safe and that you're making good choices, that you're not going to be out on the street and get hurt and harmed. You know, but at the same time, physical abuse is not a black thing. You know, I was a social worker and I was a social worker out in the country, in the rural small towns of Wisconsin. And I will tip that's a whole nother story. But I will tell you that the white kids was beating the white parents were beating their kids. It's not a black thing. So I just rebuke that. It's not a black thing. It's a skills thing. It's not a black thing because you know, I had a case where one father beat his daughter with a two by four and that wasn't nobody black. So I'm just saying um, there's ways that we need to learn, but no, don't put that on black people. It's not just us. Um, so physical abuse is, is really hard on children because the child developed a, a trauma response because they never know what's going to set the parent off. So it's unpredictable. And sometimes parents are lashing out in anger because they're stressed out. They're feeling some kind of way about life or what's going on. And I can imagine in these pandemic times that there are too many parents that are being stressed out and their wick on their candle is burnt to the crisp. And who's there? The child. You know, and the child is trying to be a child, trying to just live their best life right now. And they don't understand what's going on. And an overwhelmed parent is going to definitely be more overwhelmed right now or using fear, you know, and so many people and talking about Erica Hill and the other kids, they, they talked about fear, seeing fear, seeing a fear response when Marie was around, you know, seeing a fear response. If someone from the school said they were going to call Marie, you know, seeing a fear, people um, from church talked about the fear response and those kids were in order and the school talked about them acting like soldiers and all of these various blaring signs that were there, you know, and um, even though we're not specifically talking about sexual abuse in this, uh, you know, got to just hit that too. Sexual abuse, child abuse is an especially, child sexual abuse is an especially complicated form of abuse because it has layers of guilt and shame. It's important to recognize that sexual abuse doesn't always involve body contact. Exposing a child to sexual situations or material is sexually abusive, whether or not touching is involved. So if some fool is showing child pornography, you know, I heard one sister was talking about it, even talking about sexually charged music. Like, it's not cute to me having little kids singing little songs that are sexually explicit. Um, sexually abused children are often tormented by shame and guilt, and it makes it very, very difficult for them to come forward and tell 
what's going on. Like people always will say, they will always say, well, why didn't you tell? Why didn't I tell the most embarrassing, shaming, torturous, traumatic, hurtful, scary thing that happened to me in life? Why didn't I tell that? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask anybody that. That's a stupid ass question, asking somebody why they didn't tell. The question is to ask is why was that adult messing around with kids? If that's what you need to ask, go ask somebody grown that question. Warning signs of child abuse and neglect. Let's go through some warning signs. Um, Warning signs of emotional abuse. Excessively withdrawn, fearful, and anxious about doing something wrong. Shows extremes in behaviors. Extremely compliant, demanding, passive, aggressive. You know, so even if you have a child that is really mannerable, polite, pleasant, they may be being abused. And if you have a child that's aggressive, fighting at school, and your response to them is just suspending them time and time again, and you haven't one time asked them how they're doing, you haven't one time, you know, sat down and had some conversation with them, you haven't built built a relationship, you haven't built a rapport, you haven't checked in with the family to see what family stresses are going on, you know, have there been any recent deaths or moves or financial changes or something that is going on in that family, if your only thing is to suspend that child, shame on you. Doesn't seem to be attached to the parent or caregiver, acts either inappropriately adult, taking care of other young kids, or inappropriately infantile, thumb-sucking, throwing tantrums, just childish-like behavior that is beyond their age range. Warning signs of physical abuse, frequent injuries or unexplained bruises, welts, or cuts. Now, come on. Come on, y'all. There's just certain things like for me as a child, I was very clumsy and I would say as a child, I'm very clumsy to this day. I fall more than I should. And I had a lot of injuries as a child. And my mother at one point in time told me that they were suspecting child abuse because I just had so many injuries. And and as a young kid, I will be honest, I had some major injuries, which really takes me back to child neglect. I feel like you know, there were times that my mother was neglectful of me and it led me into being into situations that I was injured, situations where I was sexually abused, I was touched, I was, you know, um, approached in unsafe ways because of neglect. I was neglected, right? Um And I think one of the last injuries was I was in the streets of Chicago with my brother and with my cousin, John, and my brother wasn't a pastor back then. He was bad. Okay. And they were out in the streets breaking windows. And I guess somebody probably said, what are you kids doing? And they took off running. And I was a little kid. I was under four because we moved to Madison when I was four. So why the three of us were out unsupervised on the streets of Chicago in the 60s and we didn't have an adult with us, I don't know what the hell was going on in that particular situation. And, and you know, being with my bad brother and bad cousin, I don't know, I, I don't even know. So I must have been three, three and a half, four. So it was too young for me to be out there with their bad behinds. And they took off running and I think they tried to grab me because my little ass couldn't keep up. And I fell. And as I fell, I was drugged a little bit down the street. 
And I went to the doctor. I remember going um, back home and I don't have a lot of childhood memories, but I remember that one and my grandmother putting my hand down in the water. And I remember the water turning red because I was bleeding so much and I got a cut right at my left wrist. So the danger of that cut was was huge. I went to the doctor and it's was okay. She just got some debris. Let's clean it up. And then this wound was always sore. Like if I accidentally bumped it, it was always sore and I complained about it. So years later, when we moved to Madison, I'm thinking I'm maybe six or seven years old at this point in time, went back to the doctor up here, got an x-ray and they found that I had like three or four chunks of glass that had been in my wrist for years. And I had to have a surgery to get it removed. That was kind of a long explanation to what happens when your kids are being neglect, neglected. So you may, for physical, physical abuse, you may see a lot of bruises and welts and cuts. And so basically what I want to say is, like people talked about Tierra and Erica and, and even some of the other kids having scratches on their face, having black eyes, having scratches here and there. Like after a while, how can that be explained away to you? After a while, you just can't explain away while children in one family keep having scars and bruises and scratches and things like that on them. Um, it's always a watchful. They're always on alert as if something bad is about to happen. Injuries appear to have a pattern such as marks from a hand or a belt. Um, shies away from touch, flinches. You ever notice some kids that kind of like just jump back when you like flail your hands because they think you're about to hit them? Here we go. Wears inappropriate clothing to cover up injuries such as long sleeve shirts on hot ass days. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like how many years can one child wear inappropriate clothing to cover up injuries such as long sleeve shirts, turtlenecks, long sleeve pants on hot days? Three years at the same school, the same child. Hell no. Warning signs of child neglect. Clothes are ill-fitting, filthy, or inappropriate for the weather. Here again, hygiene is consistently bad, unbathed, matted, unwashed hair, noticeable body odor, untreated illnesses or physical injuries, is frequently unsupervised or left alone or allowed to play in unsafe situations like the streets of Chicago, is frequently late or missing from school. You know, and when... Kiera reported the abuse. One of the things that she said is that when they would have marks and things on them that couldn't be covered up, that they would be withdrawn from school for periods of time. And there were large periods of time, you know, when Erica and other girls, other kids were just missing from school before fully disappearing. Warning signs of sexual abuse in children, trouble walking or sitting, displaced knowledge of sexual acts inappropriate for their age, or even seductive behavior. Stop calling little kids fast. If you see somebody that is six or seven and they're acting sexually, you better look closer and figure out what's going on. Stop calling them names. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. 
make strong efforts to avoid a specific person without any obvious reason, doesn't want to change clothes in front of others or participate in physical activities, they have STD or pregnancy, especially under the age of 14, runs away from home. So those are just some things to think about as far as warning signs. You know, we have to be vigilant. We have to be hypervigilant in these times because it's just difficult times that we're living in and difficult times cause stress and stress cause stress-related behavior. And it may lead to a parent being lashing out, withdrawing, being depressed, um, turning to alcohol or drugs to soothe away the stress and the depression of what's going on. It becomes very cyclical. And so there are ways that we can help to support these parents. And if you know a parent that is really stressed out and there's some way that you can help them be a support, do that. If there's a way you can go over and spend time with the kids or take the kids out to McDonald's once in a while, you know, help in some kind of way, you know, get them to groceries, pick up the groceries for them. Because even, you know, these days I'm seeing a lot of organizations that are offering free, you know, essential items and things like that, which is terrific. But what if you're so stressed out? What if you as a parent, you don't have a car? What if you don't have a babysitter, but you need this essential item? So what are you going to do? Are you going to leave your kids at home by themselves so that you can hop on the bus to go get these things? You know what I'm saying? And so maybe there's a way if you live in an apartment complex or there's some folks go to your church and you know that they're having some struggles. Is there a way you can pick them up and take them or you can pick up the items and drop them off? You know what I'm saying? Checking in with the parents, especially single moms checking in with them in these in these seasons and in this in this time to see if there's a way that you can support and encourage them. So again, I want to share the national hotline number for sexual abuse if you suspect it. 800-656-4673. 800-656-4673 and I'm going to give you the child abuse and I'm going to say this. The Child Help National Abuse Hotline, 800-422-4453, 800-422-4453. And I think it's really important for us who may suspect that a child that we know or love is being abused. We are not the investigators. It's not our job to investigate. It's not our job to prove it. It's not our job to do that. If you suspect it, talk to a professional. You know, and the thing I like about the 800 numbers is that you can get some help that isn't right there in town. So you can just talk to people saying, these are the things that I'm saying. And the professionals on these lines have been trained to help to identify symptoms and, and, and signs of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, that type of thing. But it gives you just a step away to have a conversation with someone. And it's not helpful to go talk to uh, Mookie and May Main about it if they don't know anything about it. Don't just like talk about people's business, get people help. And that is a way just to find out from like talking to somebody just right there. You can run it through, but they can give you local resources, which is also nice because maybe you don't know local resources. Maybe you don't want to ask about local resources to somebody you already know, because then they're going to be nosy. What? What's going on? And that's not going to be helpful. 
So these 800 numbers give you that opportunity to reach out and do that. And again, it's not your job to um, suspect to, um, it's your job to suspect it if it is, but it's not your job to investigate. It's not your job to prove it before you call, you know? So that stops a lot of people. I just wasn't sure and I didn't know. That's not your job. It's just if you suspected some of the things that I've talked about, you know, too many of us have been through shit in our own lives. And so we know the signs. Come on, let's stop playing. We know the signs, you know? And so this is a really good place just to start as an 800 number if you're just not sure what to do or where to do it or how to do it. That's a really good place to start. And, you know, looking at what we can do. What can we do? What can I, what can I do if I suspect a child that I know or love has been abused, is being abused? You can start with an 800 number. You can start with a phone call and see if there's something you can do. You can start by supporting a parent. You can start by spending time with a child. You can start by making phone calls and asking open-ended questions to children that you've already suspected. How are you doing? You know, um, what, what are some concerns that you have about your life right now? Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Anything bothering you? What's on your mind? You know, and get beyond just the pleasantries to get to a deeper level of what's going on in the lives of children, building rapport. If you're a youth minister and or children's minister and you're not meeting right now because of COVID-19, then, you know, are there ways that you can check in with each parent of the kids that are involved in your ministry? And if you're a youth ministry, you know, it's easier to get young folks on Zoom or something of that nature to talk with them and share with them and to check in on them. You know, um, if you're a pastor and you know you have single mothers, this time it's going to be extremely hard for them. This time it's extremely hard for two-parent households with two-parent incomes, you know, with kids who are, they're needing to, to, to teach at school and, you know, teach at home and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's stressful for single mothers. So make a list, have somebody from the women's ministry or somebody make a list of all of the single mothers in your ministry and check in on them. Do they need some essential items? Do they need prayer and some food? Somebody say amen. Do they need prayer and some food? Do they need prayer and some clothes for their children? Do they need prayer and some help on the rent? Y'all don't hear me. Do they need prayer and? Okay? Because they need something. I guarantee you they need something. So finding that out through conversation, through rapport, through Zoom, through Facebook Messenger, through texting. I don't care how you get there. Just get there if you can. So... That's what I wanted to really take this time to underscore the conversation that I had with Tony about just reminding us of signs and what to do and how to do what we need to do to defend Black girls. Thank you for listening in. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening in with the intent to learn, to grow, to help, to protect, to save, and defend Black girls, if you'd like to continue to support the work that we're doing, I ask you to visit patreon.com forward slash Laleda to find out how you can support the creative ways that I'm out here defending Black girls in these streets. 
Thank you so much. As my grandmother would say, mm-mm-mm. That was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting laleda.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are. And while you're there, we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation. <laughs>